0: Turn up the microphones, cue the talent. That's you, Joe.
1: Me? <laughs> no, Jason's the talent in and here. And Bob Engines. And Bob, and you.
0: Here We all are. You're, Larry You're talented,
1: too. Well, I, I'm. see, I'm
0: just the glue. I think of myself as the glue. <laughs> so there you go. My name is Dirk Christians, and this is the Rural Radio Network's presentation of Midday, and all across the network, information for you coming up. And Joe Gangwish, uh, still with your staff flung
1: far and wide. Yeah, we are flung far and wide. Of course, Shaley covering the uh, Kansas Wheat Tour taking place right now. We have Susan Littlefield, Jesse Harding. They are in Washington for NAFB's Washington Watch. That's an association of farm broadcasting group that we all are a part of. So we'll be hearing uh, from them all throughout the day here on many of these rural radio network stations. Got a developing story. Just got a heads up. There may be some animal rights folks flying drones around south-central Nebraska today. We'll get an update on that from Nebraska cattlemen. Governor Branstad from Iowa had his confirmation hearing this week for a U.S. ambassador to China. As you might expect, his position will involve talking agriculture. We'll have more on that. And uh, let's see, 1219, Jesse, of course, from Washington with Don Bloss, chairman of the National Sorghum Producers. He's from Pawnee City, Nebraska. They'll discuss the markets and a little bit on the uh, renewable fuel standard. Shaley Peters with Colin Woodall from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, part two of the series, looking at their side of the issue of this checkoff reform legislation that's Uh, trying to get started in Congress. And then Jesse's back with Ann Steckel at 117, of course, Ann, Vice President of Federal Affairs with the National Biodiesel Board, discussing tax credits, the RFS, and the Trade Commission. So, busy lineup today.
0: I don't mean to make light of it, but we just heard uh, from Nebraska Extension they have this program to teach people how to get licensed to fly drones. So I'm wondering if maybe there is rural dogfighting that's in our future here with us <laughs> well, well you never know
2: <laughs> that, that is a good point let's go over to Jason Jorgensen hey we have a favorite for the Kentucky Derby this Saturday it's Classic Empire Classic Empire why a favorite has, has been made the early 5-1 favorite but here's the deal Colt will break from the number 14 post that's not where you want to be no, it just two horses have won the Derby from that spot the last coming in 1961 Okay. No despite despite all of that being said, Classic Empire is your early favorite. It's going to have to be a runaway to do it, though. You'd think so. Yeah. Uh, also, we'll talked to you about the latest uh, Husker verbal commitment. This 2018 class continues to come together. They have uh, at least gotten the verbal commitment of the second best place kicker in the country. His name is Barrett Pickering. He's from Alabama. And He chose an offer from the Huskers. He was in Lincoln for the spring game. And also, history was made in Nebraska High School track and field yesterday. Seth Hirsch of Millard West High School set a new state record in the boys' 3,200-meter run. He turned at a time of 8 minutes, 54.12 seconds. That broke the previous record, which was set in 2004 by the great Runny runner uh, Colby Whistle.
0: My so. friend, that is a flan. Yeah,
2: and yesterday wouldn't have been a great day no, really to run, so yeah. we'll see what he does uh, the rest of the year. Bob Brogan on business. U.S. stocks are moving lower in midday
3: trading as technology, healthcare, and consumer-focused stocks lose ground. The Federal Reserve is having a policy meeting, and we're supposed to learn later today, in fact, uh, probably a little around 1 o'clock this afternoon, whether they're going to raise rates. Insider information tells us that they will not so those
0: are the things we're watching we're going to look for it all today on midday bring paul perkins into the mix here with ag weather brought to you by holdridge irrigation your Ranky dealer in holdridge lexington alda and ravenna
3: and we do have some clouds moving through the region today going to be a mainly cloudy day it's all thanks to some disturbances tracking southeast through the region all thanks to being on the back side of that area of low the a little pressure system that moved through. Right now, that light rain, one of the more organized bands of rain moving through central Nebraska, the leading edge of it from around O'Neill to around the Broken Bow area, and it's getting close to the Lexington area, right along I-80, and then just to the east of McCook, down to around Colby in northwest Kansas. Even some rumbles of thunder probably being noted to the north of Broken Bow as you head towards the Milburn and Almeria area. Another area of light rain, a bigger area of rain, but it's just over... Uh, like a three-county area from about west of North Platte near the Sutherland area up to around Tryon. That also moving towards the east, and also some light rain continuing to track southeast out of northeast Colorado. Then just some scattered sprinkles as you head to northeastern Nebraska from about Sioux City to around the uh, Seward area. Rain totals with these systems not going to be uh, very big. Some small and light amounts expected. A few of the showers could linger into the eastern areas of Nebraska and Kansas on into this evening. Otherwise, clearing skies begin to take hold for tonight. That'll cool those temperatures to the 30s and many areas to the west of Highway 281. Frost will be possible in west central Nebraska on into northwest Kansas and also northeast Colorado in the overnight Then a big pattern change starting to take hold over the next few days with some dry and much warmer conditions thanks to a big ridge of high pressure. As that area of high pressure moves overhead this weekend and early next week, temperature is expected to warm into the upper 70s to the low 80s. We could see some rain chances return next Wednesday with some signs of low pressure undercutting that ridge of high pressure, but right now still a little too far out to know for sure. In the long-term forecast, a little of both on the way for our temperatures. The temperature forecast starts out warmer than normal for Nebraska and Kansas the early half of next week. Temperatures then trend cooler than normal late next week through May 16th. The precipitation forecast for Nebraska and Kansas, expecting it to be wetter than normal the entire time of Monday through May 16th, those higher chances of above-normal precipitation going to be the farther west you go. Soil temperatures at the 4-inch depth at 7 this morning warmed some. The coolest soil temperatures in the low 40s were across the Panhandle. Most of us, though, with soil temperatures in the mid to upper 40s, including central and east Nebraska, on into north and west Kansas. Soil temperatures in the low 50s found in many areas of central and east Kansas, right along and to the south of I-70. In the markets today, weather factors include a widely variable forecast across the Midwest, and more seasonal conditions expected across the Southern Plains. Rainy weather quickly returning to the nation's midsection. Rain will expand in coverage and intensity to the Southern Plains and then to the Northeast the next several days. East and South areas of the Midwest expected to see very heavy rain and severe weather this weekend. Plus, they could see a new round of heavy rain in the forecast from the middle of next week. That rain will prolong the flood issues in the mid-Mississippi Valley and also could be, again, some flooding concerns in the central Gulf Coast. There's an improved outlook for getting back in the field, though, in the northern plains and also the western and northern areas of the Midwest. Expecting some drier and warmer weather there in the next few days. In Brazil, favorable rain in the forecast for the most primary crop areas to help out their second crop corn. Favorable conditions continue in Argentina for maturing of summer crops and their harvest this week. It's turned much warmer and dry in Ukraine and Russia crop areas. That's helped to improve their conditions for winter wheat, the warm and drier weather, helping out with corn planting in the south and east Ukraine and also into south Russia.
0: All right. Ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Phone them 308-995-4000. Do you hear that in your headphones?
3: I did. I hear a little static, and that's the little rumble of thunder to the south of Elwood. In between Elwood and Holbrook looks like a fairly... Strong, just isolated thunderstorm there. No warning or watches or advisories with it,
0: though. One, one of the many advantages you have working in AM radio, you get to hear. We are oh. tuned in. Hey, there you go. There is a thunderstorm. <laughs> yes, sir. And when you need weather anytime
1: krvn.com. With a look at ag information here on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Joe Gangwish. Cattlemen in south-central Nebraska should be on alert for possible drone flights over their operations. That's according to Pete McClymon, executive vice president of the Nebraska Cattlemen. McClymon spoke with the Rural Radio Network moments ago describing the situation.
4: It's our understanding, learning from members, as well as uh, what we've confirmed with law enforcement, is that an activist group, it's our understanding it could be shark, and they were the people that were there in the last two years trying to give video are back in the area. So it's important for people to know through the Rural Radio Network and Nebraska Cattlemen that there's these threats out there so people should be aware
1: McClimate also says there could be an attempt to get footage of dead stock at local operations in south central nebraska using drones he advises producers to be on the lookout and cover your dead stock before the rendering services come to your operation also contact local law enforcement if you feel any trespassing on your property is taking place Hard red winter wheat tour scouts are covering western Kansas, eastern Colorado, northern Oklahoma today. Dave Green, executive vice president of the Wheat Quality Council, says rain again last night is causing problems in the fields today.
5: It continues to be wet here. The areas that we were in uh, this morning took about an inch of rain again last night. It is partly cloudy today, and, and it's warming up a little. But we're still probably in the fifties here today. It's difficult work out in the fields; it's excessively muddy, and uh, so it's hard to get too far out in the fields. We've spent uh, the first four or five stops going through areas that have been flattened by the snow. Some look like they're trying to pop back up. Some look like they're still laying down. So we're just unsure of how those are going to end up. As we've moved east here, we've gotten kind of out of the snow and into more fields that are upright and that we can count and uh, don't seem to be damaged at all by any of the weather so far. So we are starting to make some counts. The week looks uh, pretty good around here, and so we're a little more optimistic today.
1: The group will end up in Wichita tonight with the last leg of the tour. Happening tomorrow, the longest-serving governor in America and one who spent a lifetime promoting U.S. agriculture—that is, Iowa's Terry Branstad—may have the easiest confirmation of any of President Trump's nominees. Now, Branstad drew broad bipartisan support during his Tuesday Senate confirmation hearing to be the next U.S. ambassador to China. One after another, state foreign relations, Republicans and Democrats told Iowa GOP Governor Branstad that they would support his confirmation to represent the U.S. in China, and while much of the hearing discussion centered on security surrounding North Korea, Branstad repeatedly touched on his role as an advocate for U.S. agriculture.
0: As a first-term governor, I had the opportunity to welcome an agriculture delegation from Hebei province of China, Iowa's sister state, to the state of Iowa. Leading that delegation was a young man whose business card read, Xi Jinping Feed Association of Shisha Zhuang.
1: Brandstad told foreign relations senators he would use his long friendship with President Xi and his t- trusted confidant of President Trump to positively influence the U.S.-China relationship, particularly in the situation involving beef. And Secretary of State Rex Tillerson says both Mexico and Canada are ready to engage in a good-faith effort to update their trade relationship with the U.S. Tillerson is addressing employees at the State Department. He says the two U.S. neighbors understand it's time to refresh that relationship. More ag news for you at RuralRadio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
6: For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jessia Harding. With me from Pawnee City, Nebraska is Don Bloss. He's the chairman of the board for the National Sorghum Producers. Don, why don't we talk a little bit about markets when it comes to sorghum and what are some of the things that you guys are working on?
7: Well, right now the sorghum market's under corn, but not nearly as much under corn as what it has been. Uh, along the coastal line in Texas and along the ports, uh, we're getting we have a, a pretty good foreign markets for it and right now I, it's being pretty competitive with corn i think right now i can get ten cents under corn which is pretty unusual and we look for that to get even better as the season goes along
6: when it does come to the u-s markets here when you are planting sorghum what are some of those things that you do look at compared to maybe some of the other crops
7: well first of all sorghum costs a lot less will cost some less to plant than what corn does uh, soybeans will cost a little bit less also but it's a pretty competitive price and one thing we do know with sorghum you know, we can i book that ahead sell some ahead a little bit more often than i do corn because i very seldom come out of the field in the fall without having some sorghum harvested some grain in the bin corn sometimes it can fool you and not produce a crop if it's too dry They've done a lot of breeding on corn to make it improve, but still sorghum uses 40% less water than what corn does in the average year. So we're usually a little bit more certain of getting a crop of sorghum.
6: When it comes to the total U.S. sorghum crop, you're looking at exports. That's obviously a big topic of conversation in Washington, D.C. Where have things been standing when it comes to the sorghum crop?
7: Well, uh, out of the 480 million bushel that was produced, In the year 2015, 2015, 2016, we exported 380 million bushel of that. Uh, uh, Our friend China got 276 million bushel of it, and and we absolutely let 10 other countries through the selling process. But China's our big uh, entity for buying sorghum, so we'd like to really take care of that. Uh, We always have a good crop. They know that we have a good crop. They know they can depend on us having it up to this point in time. We we need to take care of that market very well.
6: And then also, sorghum can also be used for ethanol, and RFS is something that the national sorghum producers works on. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about that as well?
7: Well, we don't have enough production in Nebraska to use very much of it for uh, RFS or for ethanol. We do have a plant in Nebraska, usually Hastings, will buy sorghum occasionally when they have a market for it, but it's a growing crop in the uh, RFS and ethanol business, and it'll get even better. We're look, working on a sorghum pathway, which will get a little, the sorghum oil out of distiller's grains, similar to what corn does, and that will help out the market for sorghum as well. Uh, I think it costs us two cents a bushel to not have that pathway or that outlet with the sorghum you get uh, into Kansas, there's a lot of sorghum being produced for ethanol, and in Texas as well. But they they need a market for it, or they need to have a supply for it before they can keep running it.
6: We've been talking with Don Bloss. He is a chairman of the board for the National Sorghum Producers from Pawnee City, Nebraska, being able to meet up here in Washington, D.C. For the Royal Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding.
0: It's the Midday Program on the Rural Radio
2: Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, Classic Empire has been made the early 5-1 favorite for this Saturday's Kentucky Derby, with just four horses of the 20 listed at single digits. Now, the Colt will break from the number 14 post position on Saturday. Just two horses have won the Derby from out there. The last was Carrie Back back in 1961. Well, the Huskers had another verbal commitment yesterday when Hoover, Alabama kicker Barrett Pickering announced his pledge to the Huskers. The place kicker made his commitment over social media. Now, Nebraska needed a kicker in this particular class. Pickering is ranked as the second best kicker in the country by Cole's Kicking Camp, and they are used to rank specialists. Pickering visited Nebraska during the spring game. He is the ninth known commitment of the 2018 class for head coach Mike Riley. Well, Jamal Charles has left Kansas City for a contract with Denver. The Chiefs all-time leading rusher signed a one-year incentive-laden deal. Charles spoke with Broncos TV
8: and says he is still
2: very motivated. Just,
8: people just count me out. People count me out, and I'm, I'm always trying to prove people wrong, and, and that always been me, and, and I still wanted i have fire in the tank, and I still wanted to play football.
2: Charles rushed for over 7,200 yards and 43 TDs in nine very productive seasons with the Chiefs, but he's played in just eight games over the last two seasons after tearing his right ACL in October of 2015. History was made yesterday in Nebraska High School track and field. Seth Hirsch of Millard West High School set a new state record in the boys' 3,200-meter run. Turned at a time yesterday of 8 minutes, 54.12 seconds. Now, the previous state record was held by Kobe Whistle. Carney ran a time of 8 minutes, 55.55 seconds back in 2004. What does Isaiah Thomas do following two days of dental procedures? He just goes about and puts up 53 points and helped Boston to a two-games-to-none lead. In the second round of the NBA playoffs, Thomas had a night to remember. He scored 20 points in the fourth quarter and had nine more in overtime as the Celtics held off the Wizards 129-119. He extended the game by hitting two free throws in the closing seconds of regulation. He did all of this despite fiddling with the newly fitted mouth guard after losing a tooth in Game 1. Thomas had about five hours of dental surgery on Monday and spent another few hours having his mouth guard fitted hours before the game actually tipped off. That's a check of sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network.
9: Chance of showers today with thunderstorms possible after 1 o'clock. Mostly cloudy with a high near 51. North winds at 10 to 15 could gust up to 20. Chance of precipitation still at 50%. For tonight, mostly clear with a low of around 37. And then for Thursday, patchy fog before 7 a.m., Otherwise sunny with a high near 67. From the newsroom, I'm Scott Foster. Sonny Purdue has been the Secretary of Agriculture for a little over a week. Bob Deneen CEO of Renewable Fuels Association, says what the feeling has been in Washington, D.C.
10: I think actually pretty positive. I think uh,
2: folks are excited about uh, Sonny Purdue. I think they recognize that he's only the third Secretary of Agriculture who's actually a farmer in his adult life. I think they recognize that he understands the challenges that farmers have. Uh, He understands the importance of value-added markets like ethanol. Uh, He is committed to working with all of agriculture uh, to assure rural economic development opportunities continue. I'm excited about it.
9: The Renewable Fuels Association looks forward to working with the administration on the RFS and ethanol blends. LB-518 was signed into law by Governor Pete Ricketts. The bill was sponsored by Gothenburg Senator Matt Williams. It will help small cities establish more housing for their growing workforces. One of the fastest growing small towns in Nebraska is Norfolk. Its mayor, Josh Moaning, talks about the law.
11: The challenge in Norfolk, we, we do have a housing shortage and we have... Um, a significant amount of new economic growth coming online in the next couple of years. And so we have a lot of catching up to do in terms of uh, our housing, everything from workforce housing to uh, apartment units, to, to single-family subdivisions. And so, so yeah, it, it, it does. It's a, another policy tool uh, that uh, potentially can be used to incentivize development.
9: Senator Williams says the bill could mean $15 million for small cities in the state. A major blow to Governor Pete Ricketts proposed tax relief plan on Tuesday when state senators failed to overcome a filibuster on LB 461. The governor accused senators who did not vote for ending the filibuster of voting against taxpayers. Joni Albright of Thurston had conditional support for the measure.
12: I agree with the sentiment of, of some that the relief doesn't go far enough for ag producers. God knows I'd like to see a whole bunch more for the ag producers, but... Something is better than nothing. If we don't take action on this issue, we're going to be right back where we began.
9: Senator Jim Smith, who sponsored the bill, expressed disappointment. It's a bad day for Nebraska, he said. The bill incorporated Governor Ricketts' proposals for cutting the top individual income tax rate and changing how agricultural land is valued for property tax purposes. News happens anytime, anywhere. Send word to us with a tip under the news tab at krvn.com. From the News Center, I'm Scott Foster.
12: Just this past week, RCAF USA and several other ag groups sent a letter to Washington in support of legislation that's been introduced to reform the checkoff. And here to visit with us today about that is CEO of RCAF USA, Bill Bullard. And Bill, let's first open up by talking about this letter you guys sent.
4: Yes, we had over 80 organizations representing 250,000 producers sent the letter urging Congress to support reforms to restore the integrity of the checkoff programs from our perspective the beef checkoff program has been abused for many years we have tried to reform that program through the u.s uh, department of agriculture we have been unsuccessful so now we're appealing to congress to make changes to the program to prevent the program from working against the very people who are required to make contributions to the program in other words our producers are concerned that the money that is actually being taxed from them is being used to pursue policies that are detrimental to their economic and financial interests.
12: So now that we know why the letter was sent, go into more detail on what exactly this legislation is.
4: Well, the checkoff programs prohibit entities that are receiving the money from engaging in influencing government, from lobbying. But what has happened decades is that the major contractors have been involved in lobbying efforts and they have been pursuing uh, policies that have supported the large multinational packers at the expense of producers. So there's two pieces of legislation that has been filed. The first one, filed by Senators Booker and Lee, would reform the checkoff to prohibit any lobbying organization from receiving any money. It also prohibits conflicts of interest on the board of the checkoff programs. It also requires periodic audits to ensure uh, that the money is being spent properly, and it inc- it improves the transparency of the program. These are all significant problems. Recall back in 2010, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, the largest contractor, uh, was found to have misspent over 216000 checkoff dollars. So this reform is essential. The other reform legislation is one that would make all checkoff programs voluntary, And that's really the one we think is uh, the best. And that's because if the program is returning benefits to actual producers who's paying in the program, they will continue to contribute. If the program does not return benefits to producers, they will cease contributing. That will have a self disciplining effect on the checkoff program, and the program will either change or disappear. Now, our organization, for example, RCAF USA, is an all-voluntary organization. We've been in business for 17 years. If we were not doing what our members who contribute to us want us to do, they'd quit paying. But instead, they have continued to pay that has allowed us to meet the, the objectives of our members. And so why is it that the federal government is mandating a tax on producers and then allowing entities to spend money to deliver messages that some of the members simply our producers simply do not agree with? So the program is... Uh, it, it's a huge problem right now. It needs to be reformed. The USDA has refused to do so. Our only recourse left, in fact, there's two of them, is litigation and legislation, and we're actually pursuing both routes. So this letter represents a concerted effort to reform the checkoff programs through congressional legislation.
12: How confident do you feel in this legislation, and what sort of timeline do you see it on?
4: Well, I think the legislation will likely be rolled into the 2018 Farm Bill. That's the plan. And I think it's uh, highly probable that we will get this legislation passed. These are non-part, or bipartisan bills, excuse me. Both the Senate version and the House version uh, have both Democrats and Republicans on it. And there's a clear recognition and a growing awareness among producers that the checkoff programs are actually being used to fund Organizations that are working against the interests of producers. And as more and more producers will begin to realize that, we see a growing resentment of the fact that they are being taxed by the federal government. You know, these programs used to be viewed as self help programs for industry, for the cattle producers and other producers of commodities subject to the checkoff. But that's not the case anymore because the Supreme Court has determined that the messages delivered by these checkoff programs is government speech, and it's government speech because it's controlled from beginning to end by the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture. And for an industry that values independence and not being uh, a recipient of government subsidies, this is really hypocritical because the program right now is one of the largest government subsidies in the cattle industry. And it's because the federal government is taxing producers to fund the federal government speech. We think Congress should stop that.
12: All right, thanks for the input. Bill Bullard, CEO of RCAF USA, discussing some legislation that's been introduced to Congress to reform the checkoff and then also a a letter sent last week with RCAF USA and several other organizations to support this reform within Congress. Tomorrow we'll have National Cattlemen Beef Association's take on it. For more, visit ruralradio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters.
10: Back on the Rural Radio Network, and we review the livestock futures trade on another big day. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities.
11: Yeah, another big day. Limit up in uh, the first two uh, contracts with live cattle, and uh, uh, limit up in the August feeder cattle, uh, just signifying how strong things were. We started out and uh, just started climbing, touched limit uh, early in the live cattle, and then fell off, and then came back and uh, eventually just stayed there so pretty uh pretty strong day once again cutouts at noon sharply higher um once again haven't heard of a lot of trade going on any trade that has taken place at the auctions seems firm so uh and that continues to propel uh, a lot of short covering and fun buying uh in the market Uh, but Interestingly enough, yesterday's open interest in the June contract uh, fell by approximately 3,900 contracts, which indicates a lot of uh, short covering uh, in that June contract. But it is uh, a real uh, buzzsaw right at the moment. market's extremely overbought, but that's uh, not uh, been a factor here lately. Uh, over in the feeders, they're just following along, same thing. Uh, just following uh, the uh, live cattle. As long as things stay uh, strong, they follow suit. Over in the hogs, cash continues to be uh, on the firm side, and that propels the uh, hogs higher, even despite the fact that they're carrying premiums. But uh, with cash uh, inching higher each day and the index following along, uh, that uh, continues to bring in buying support uh, in the hogs.
10: You can contact Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities at 800-328-0134. I'm Dewey Nelson. For
6: the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. With me is Anne Steckle. She is the Vice President of Federal Affairs with the Biodiesel Board. And it's been quite a busy past couple of weeks. we got some
13: great news when it comes to the biodiesel tax credit and things that have been moving here in D.C. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Well, it's great to talk with you as always, Jesse. We've had some really exciting things happening in D.C. on the biodiesel front. Last week, Senators Cantwell and Grassley and another half a dozen or two dozen Senators actually signed on to legislation supporting a change from a blender's credit to a producer's tax credit. And as you know, this is incredibly important for our industry. We feel very strongly that U.S. tax dollars should be subsidizing U.S. produced fuel rather than subsidizing all of these imports that have been coming in from Argentina and elsewhere. And so, to have such a strong show of support from the Senate on this is very meaningful, especially as we're looking towards tax reform.
6: When it comes to the producer raising soybeans, selling their beans, or it comes to the producer themselves who's looking to buy biodiesel, what would this tax credit mean to them and look like for them?
13: Well, having a producer's tax credit is really important for anybody who is involved in the biodiesel industry, whether they're growing the soybeans or whether they're actually crushing the soybeans or they're putting it into a fuel, because it'll ensure that all of that oil will be used to produce domestic biodiesel rather than all of this stuff from Argentina, and so that's going to have an effect on everyone's bottom line which is why it's so important for our industry. When
6: it comes to Argentina and the imports we've been seeing, the National Biodiesel Board has been involved
13: in that. Why don't you tell us what's going on there? Well, we just filed, the National Biodiesel Board, and several of our producer members filed an anti-dumping and countervailing duty suit against Argentina and Indonesia. We think that these countries have been unfairly subsidizing and dumping product into our market and displacing our domestically produced biodiesel. and so. As a matter of fact, we recently testified at the International Trade Commission and I had the opportunity to testify there and talk about the importance of having a level playing field. We don't mind if imports come in, but they cannot be unfairly subsidized. When we're
6: talking about that unfairness and comparing it to what happens here in the United States and those other
13: countries, what are the differences there? Well a lot of product in Argentina has a different differential export tax, a DET, so that means they get a home advantage and they are subsidized before they even come in and then on top of that they are eligible to receive this dollar a gallon biodiesel producers uh, lenders tax credit which is why we need to move it to a producer's tax credit to ensure that they don't continue to receive all of these tax dollars when it comes
6: to the renewable fuel standard that's the ongoing conversation when it comes to renewable fuels where are we
13: hoping things are going to look well, we're very optimistic that the Trump administration is going to continue to support and grow the biodiesel industry through the Renewable Fuels Program. He made a lot of uh, promises. He has been very outgoing and very vocal about his support for the RFS. And so the way to, de- to demonstrate your support is to really have these numbers grow up. Um, and make sure that they continue to grow and that they continue to expand and so as we work with the EPA We're hoping to see some numbers come out soon that will show that growth that we need
6: Where are the numbers here for 2017 looking at 2018? And then what are the numbers you're hoping to see the Trump administration give us
13: well right now? We're at 2.1 billion gallons and we are hoping for 2.75 billion gallons for biodiesel And so this is really important because we have been producing a lot of biodiesel We have a lot of untapped capacity Capacity. Our industry is only running at roughly 65% of our capacity. And so, for those volumes to be able to grow, we'll really ensure that our plants can run at full speed and that we can continue to have good paying jobs right here at home. We've been
6: talking with Ann Seckel. She's the vice president of federal fores with the National Biodiesel Board, discussing some of the things that they are working on here in Washington, D.C. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Mm-hmm.
10: Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network. As we saw corn close a little higher today, soybeans rallied, and wheat was lower for Kansas City futures. We're joined by John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Now, we can change in a hurry at this time of the year. Volatility does exist, but today was kind of a quiet session.
8: Yeah, uh, doing what I do. I look down the, the road here at some of the guys dealing with cattle, and it's, uh, it's a nightmare, you know, trying to figure out what's going on in, the, in those markets. I do expect to see some spillover here into the grains at some point, point. I think you've you got to make note of what's gone on, gone on in cattle over the last six months, how quickly things can change, especially in agriculture where you're only dealing with a, pro, a crop production once a year. Um, you know the, that story swaps and all of a sudden the money jumps to one side in this in this world where we're awash with liquidity you can see this thing chased heavily quickly so um, you know shorter term here we're getting kind of doused with cold water by some of the private analysts inform out this morning raising Brazilian uh, corn crops to 96 million metric tons bean crops up one, almost 113 million metric tons so we're starting to get to levels now like 10 percent over what we thought we'd grow at the beginning of the year uh... for a lot of these markets and you know, that's going to buoy the price I think more on the upper side of things but here in the states I think uh, you know there is a run here. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked to hear something about RFS here in the next week or so either. I'm starting to hear some rumors out of uh, some of the guys I know on D.C. that we might be hearing some things on, on the bean oil and, and maybe E-15. So keep an ear, uh, ear to the ground for that, that certainly wouldn't be priced in the market yet.
10: It's five month stretch here. We've had a 360 to 380 ch- trading range in that July corn contract.
8: Yeah, it's boring, and, you know, I mean, gosh, we've been talking and trying to find reasons. It's, I think we're just in a supplied market, and, and we have price certainty right now. You have a lot of physical grain that's in the hands of folks who need money. So when the market rallies, the folks are easily looking to move it. You know, it's it's not like we're in a product, in a, in a, in a, in a market where, you know, everybody's well capitalized and they can wait for their price. Uh, we're, we're on a clock here in the grain markets, especially in the corn. Uh, a lot of corn still sitting up north uh, in these river closings that we're going to have here in the next two weeks, both in the Missouri Missouri River and in the Mississippi River aren't going to help things. Now, I think longer term, that's bullish, but shorter term here, you're probably going to see the basis widen out on these rallies, uh, even if, I think the board is really where you want to be. You know, if you want to reown it, reown it. I think being in the paper rather than the physical is, is going to offer you more upside because if that market pops, say, to, you know, 395 July, what's the basis going to do? I think it just continues to widen.
10: Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing, Chicago. Go to their website, DanielsAgMarketing.com. Soybeans rallied somewhat as they were six to seven higher. And as we told you, Kansas City weight was a little bit lower. This is the Rural Radio Network.